Coming up on today's show, Bill 81 has a lot of people very concerned in our province. One in three youth in Canada report suffering dating violence of one form or another. And Broadway Across Canada is back. Yeah, the first performance post-pandemic arrives in Alberta in January. We'll talk to the star, Kyla Stone. Bill 81. Now, Bill 81 is a massive bill, and it covers all kinds of different areas around election financing and other things. Um, The part that people were really shocked by and very concerned by was the changing of the law where it will now be legal in the province of Alberta to buy a party membership for somebody else without their knowledge or even their consent. They don't even know that you've bought a party membership for them. Um, And as I said, we reached out to several UCP MLAs. We've heard um, a very limited amount of interaction in press conferences yesterday from the Premier and Jason Nixon. Um, They they were unable to join us today for whatever reason. You can speculate on that for your own uh, purposes. But we did receive an email yesterday from the UCP party uh, saying they wanted to come on and correct some things that I'd gotten wrong yesterday or people had wrong about this whole situation. And I said, sure, okay, we can do that. So joining us now is Cynthia Moore. Cynthia is the president of the United Conservative Party, and uh, she joins us now. Cynthia, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Well, I'm really happy to be here, Shay. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do have to say, I've you know, I've been, like I was saying earlier, I think I've been in media for almost 30 years now, and I've never had a party official reach out um, on behalf of the the government, um, so I just want I just want to get some clear. Are you doing this on behalf of the party? Or are you doing this on behalf of the UCP MLA caucus? Um, how did this come about? Well, actually, it came about because I listened to your show and um, I heard the comments that were made yesterday about our membership process. And I asked our team to reach out to you because I felt it was important that we um, clarified for uh, the general public and for our members about our membership process. So I'm here really on behalf of the party. Okay, so you're on here. Okay, fair enough. Now, uh, what, what, what was wrong? What did we have wrong yesterday? Well, I mean, the first thing is um, I can't, as you know, I'm not involved in government and I can't speak on behalf of um, government. But I do know that this law changed nothing about purchasing memberships. This was always the case that memberships could be purchased. And the reason that I, under- I understand that government has done that, and I would think that your, your uh, listeners would appreciate this, is they don't believe that government should be involved in managing the membership processes of associations and, um, you know, small uh, organizations and political parties like ours. Okay, now hang on, Cynthia. It's not true that it's always been legal to buy a party membership in this province without the knowledge and consent of the person you're buying it for. That's not, that was changed in this bill. That's, that was the language in the bill that changed that. Well, that's not my understanding of it, Shay. And I'm really here, though, to speak about our membership process. Well, okay, um, but we, I think we need to be really clear on the fact that that was the change in the legislation, and that was the UCP MLA standing up and saying, no, we need to have a line in this bill saying you need to have informed consent from somebody to buy a party membership for them. That that was the whole well, fight. Well, okay, I understand, um, and I'm not going to argue with you about that. The, well, I'm here to talk about the, use, the United Conservative Party's membership process. Yes. And I want, um, on behalf of our members, I mean, our members set the rules, and our members need to have confidence in our membership process, which is that you have to give consent if a membership is purchased. So you purchase a membership in your own name, and you also have to pay for it. And that is, has never changed. 
And you're absolutely right, and that was pointed out yesterday. But I mean, we we can't just gloss over the fact that um, the UCP party, the leadership campaign of Jason Kenney, is currently under RCMP investigation for this very thing for not following those rules during the race for the leadership of the UCP party back in 2017. So, I mean, the rules are there, but they're not always followed. Well, I mean, I can only, I've been this, uh, the party president for almost three weeks now, and I can only speak to the situation that I'm involved in. And uh, I have a lot of trust in our members and that they will follow the rules. We are very, I mean, let's face it, political parties have nothing without their members. And so we are very, um, our member membership process is sacrosanct. I'm not going to comment on anything that's gone on in the past. I'm looking to the future. And um, we're in a situation where we're growing our membership base. And we, um, you know, we have a lot of respect for our members. And we're going to protect the, their um, in, the integrity of the membership process. Let me ask you, speaking of the future and speaking of the rules and speaking of the membership, your rules also state that if 25% of constituency associations come together and ask for an early leadership review, that will be granted. Um, that happened. The party attempted to change the threshold failed at doing that, and we found out yesterday we'll just ignore the 25% of constituency associations. So tell me again about how you're respecting the membership and the rules of the party when it comes to the leadership review of Jason Kenney being moved up. Well, Shay, I mean, 20, there, I, I guess I would say that I, I and my team, including the board of the United Conservative Party, are listening to all members, and we have to take into consideration all points of view. Um, that group doesn't necessarily um, represent the majority of our members, but we did try to make changes to the process in order to make it more accessible to the members. We didn't feel the need to move the date for a lot of reasons, Um, and particularly, I mean, you'll appreciate this. I I listen to a lot of your um, people who call in who are on the road. We felt that keeping it at April made it easier for people to travel around the province, we moved it from Edmonton to uh, Red Deer in order to make it more cost-effective for our membership. We, and we changed it to a special general meeting, which is what that group wanted. So to say that we, we ignored what they said is not at all the case. Um, frankly, uh, that's all I've been thinking about in the last few weeks, other than our very successful annual general meeting that we had a few weeks ago, um, is you know how can we respond best to our membership when it comes to the leadership review. And you should know that in our rules, which the members have uh, voted on, and is that we uh, leadership reviews are held at uh, um, uh, a meeting mm-hmm. where people buy registrations and that they attend, which is what we are doing. But I was very concerned that we keep the registration fee as low as possible so as many people could participate. And I understand, and that's, and that's all well and good, and you're right, the, the AGM in Red Deer is something that they had asked about. That's, that's the one concession they were granted, but you, you, you wanted to come on and talk about the rules of the UCP party and how they're steadfast and how we don't have to worry about um, party memberships being bought without people's knowledge and consent. Um, we've already covered two of the instances where the rules really didn't seem to be uh, upheld, and I'm, and I'm wondering, again, if you're, if you're talking about the membership and respect the rules of the UCP party, the rules that you're talking about clearly state that if 25% of the constituency associations want an early review of the leadership, that's all. That's the threshold that has to be met, and the early review will happen. You're talking about the rules. You tried to change the rules at the AGM and change the threshold. That failed, and still the rules not being followed. So when we talk about the rules of the UCP party and how we can all have faith in them being upheld, 
I understand why people would be saying, well, but they're not. Well, but that, Shay, that's not, not at all the case. I mean, how's it wrong? All, how, how's it not the case? Uh, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how it's wrong. Because the only thing in our rules that the um, 25% of constituency associations can do is to ask for an early leadership review. Right. We had already granted an earlier leadership review. I've been on this board previously. We had moved the leadership review from the fall to the spring. Okay, so that's the first thing. And then we, but we also felt that we wanted to lower, as I say, we wanted to lower the barrier to accessibility. But frankly, you know, they, they wanted one member, one vote. That is not in our rules. And um, I, I believe, personally believe that if people want to vote in the leadership review, they should have to pay a small um, registration fee and they should be prepared to come and participate in our, our um, leadership, event, leadership review event. Um, that's the way leadership reviews have always been held. I've been, to new, I've been involved in politics my whole adult life, and I've been involved in numerous leadership reviews. It is the way they have always been held. And have they always had 25% of constituents associations asking that they be held differently? Well, they're, but, they're, but the only thing they can ask for is an earlier leadership review, which we have granted by moving it from the fall. But that's to the not spring. what they asked for. They wanted it done prior to March 1st. You know that. Yeah, so I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And we just decided that, I mean, let's face it, there's practical challenges in all of this, too. And, you know, March, prior to March 1st versus the first weekend in April, you know, come on. Um, we, and I, I've been the chair of our um, annual general meeting uh, for the last three years. I know what it takes to organize it. There was no, there was no, um, like, I talk to these people all the time. They're my friends. They're, you know, we're, we are co-members in this party. And we were trying to do our best to pick the, the best date, the best location, and the best way of doing this for our membership. Okay. I don't feel at all that we were ignoring their wishes. Fair enough. Cynthia, I appreciate you coming on. I, I, I will say I would rather have had an MLA uh, on behalf of the UCP party, but I'm glad that you um, stepped into the void and tried to offer some explanation, at least from the party's viewpoint. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Yes, I appreciate being on here. Thank you. You bet. Thank you very Bye. much. That's Cynthia Moore, who is president of the United Conservative Party of Alberta. And as I said, um, requests were put out to the Premier, uh, to Rick McIver, to Jason Nixon, to Casey Maggi. We asked them all to please come on the show and talk about Bill 81. Um, they didn't. Uh, what more can I tell you? You read into it whatever you want to read into it, okay? Uh, we do know that a lot of people have a lot of concerns about Bill 81, and it, particularly that one component, which just seems, it seems bizarre to me. If you want to take big money out of politics, and that's what they, they called it, the anti-AFL bill, because they didn't want unions throwing a lot of big money into political parties. Well, now when you can go out and purchase memberships on somebody else's behalf without their knowledge and consent, aren't you opening the door to a different kind of big money? None of it makes any sense. And there's a lot of concerns. Coming up, we're going to get the opposition's viewpoint on this. We're going to chat with uh, Thomas Dang, who is with the NDP. Uh, he was in the ledge as this all went down in the middle of the night a couple of nights ago. We'll hear from him right after this. We just heard um, from Cynthia Moore, who's president of the United Conservative Party. And I will say again uh, that we've asked a number of UCP MLAs to come on. And uh, so far, they have not taken us up on our invitation. Um, so we're trying to get uh, the full discussion 
around this bill and what happened in the legislature. So now we're going to chat with Thomas Dang, who is the NDP MLA for Edmonton South, democracy and ethics infrastructure critic, member of the opposition. Thomas, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Shay. So I guess the concern that a lot of people have here, I mean, it's a huge bill. There's a lot in it. Um, But the one thing that's leaping out to most people is this provision where it's now legal to buy party memberships for somebody in Alberta on their behalf without their knowledge or their consent. That's that's obviously concerning. Absolutely. And I mean, this is exactly what Jason Kenney and his leadership review is under RCMP investigation for uh, in relation to his 2017 campaign. So, so when they're suddenly opening up these loopholes that didn't previously exist, we have to start asking why. And, and even UCP MLAs are asking why. Um, and that's the question that I have in Thomas. Let's take a look at this. What is the benefit? Why would this change be made? Um, it doesn't mean that you can go and cast a vote on somebody's behalf. So what is the advantage that could be gained by anybody under this system? Yeah, and I mean, I think the benefit or the gaming of the system is looking at Jason Kenney's leadership review, which is going to be coming up in this spring. Uh, and, and technically, legally, you can't cast a vote on somebody else's behalf. But we know there's allegations and, and RCMP investigations into uh, fraud, forgery, uh, corruption, and, and even allegedly voting booths the UCP used to vote on behalf of thousands of members during the last campaign. And, and, and if you were able to sell a lot of memberships, this is something that could be done um, to regular leadership campaign. It could be. I understand what you're saying, but I mean, we'll wait and see what happens with that. The, the, the other question is that the focus of this bill was your party and your ties to labor unions, which we know support the NDP. I don't think that's a secret. Um, when you're talking about removing big money, uh, union money primarily, labor money from the system, um, when you take a step like this, do you not open the door to more big money coming in with the purchase of party memberships, albeit at the party level? Absolutely. And one of the things that also happened is they opened up this huge loophole where nomination contests and leadership contests can now raise additional money outside of the donation cap. So, so really what they're causing is the system where they're bringing in more and more money into the party system uh, and, and trying to exclude workers and, and organized groups um, and third parties from, from getting involved in politics. But there is the issue with unions and, and the money that they support the NDP. And, and you know, I'm, I get texts whenever we have this discussion, the fact that a lot of union membership feel that they are supporting the NDP, whether they want to or not. So, I mean, I think there is uh, a case to be made by the UCP government to say we need to try and, you know, separate that. Um, did you feel targeted, though, in, in the action that was taken in the legislature? Let me be very clear. Um, the first bill the NDP government introduced in 2015 was to ban corporate and union donations from politics. So, so unions are not able to contribute to the NDP. They're not able to, to give money to, to NDP candidates. And, and that's how I think it should be. Um, if third party groups want to advertise and want to get involved in democracy, there's, there's a rules framework for that. And, and I'm hoping th- uh, that everyone will follow those rules. Um, when we go forward from here, um, legal challenges are expected. Is your party considering a legal challenge um, to the legislation that was passed? We're still reviewing everything that's going on in the legislation. We were debating it until uh, 3 a.m. Uh, uh, in the legislature because the government was trying so hard to ram this through. So, so we're going to be looking at our opportunities, but the, the party will have more to say on that in the future. Um, and Thomas, last one. Um, 
just what happened in the legislature with, um, you know, time constraints. I mean, we've seen that before. That's not new. Um, there's a lot of people saying that the democratic process was was cheated. It, it went till three in the morning. Just give us your take on what happened in the ledge um, early, early Wednesday morning. Yeah, time allocation and shutting down debate, the government does that all the time. But what is new is that their own members, there were three UCP MLAs that wanted to bring in amendments to close this membership loophole where you could buy memberships on behalf of somebody else. Uh, and what happened was UCP ministers started getting up and talking so that they could block their own members uh, during that limited time from speaking, from bringing those amendments forward. And that's something I've never seen before, to try and shut down your own party from making changes to your bill, to try and shut down people who are supposed to be your own friends. Um, that's something that's unprecedented and I think uh, really shows uh, how seriously they, they want to rig their own party. Thomas, I appreciate you joining us this morning and giving us uh, the opposition perspective on this. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. That's Thomas Dang, who is a uh, member of the opposition, a uh, member of the NDP government uh, uh, party in the uh, province of Alberta. And, and, you know, he's he's bringing up what a lot of other people are bringing up. And, and, and just taking a look at the text line, there's a lot of people really, really troubled by um, Bill 81. And a lot of people aren't. I wouldn't say a lot. There's some people who aren't. And they think this was, you know, there was a legitimate concern with um, labor and, you know, union donations and all the rest of those sorts of things. But I'm I'm hearing from union members right now this morning saying, you know what, I'm a union member and we support the NDP even if we don't want to. You know, that's not our choice. Like Dale says, Shay, when I was with one of the large unions in the city, we backed the NDP candidates whether we liked it or not. And not only did we donate as much as we could, they would have volunteers to man the bar at functions and then we as the union would pick up the bar tab. That's how they got around the rules. And, you know... Uh, I don't think there's any dispute that when you talk about labor, they're supporters of the NDP right or across the board, not just in Alberta. Um, and uh, as you know, as Thomas said, there were rules put in in terms of how much can be donated, how much can be contributed. There are rules and there's limits around that to try and get big money out of politics. Uh, I think it's a separate issue. Speaking of smoking, that's the kind of thing that, you know, I know a lot of us are parents of teenage kids and, you know, you talk to your kids about smoking, you talk to them about alcohol, you talk to them about drugs, you talk to them about school, career, all these sorts of things. There's certain things um, that you know as a parent, these are the topics that you're going to have to discuss with your kids. Turns out there's something that maybe we're ignoring as parents uh, to our own peril and especially our kids' peril. Talking about dating violence, it is far more common than I had thought. Um, and it's something that a lot of Canadian kids are reporting, experiencing, and running into. And um, it seems like the kids and parents, not nobody's really all that well-equipped in how to handle it. We need to get to work on this. So we're going to chat now with Dr. Dan Era Exner-Cortens, who is an assistant professor at the University of Calgary and a scientific coordinator of PrevNet, a network of Canadian researchers working to promote healthy relationships and eliminate violence. Doctor, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You know, when I was taking a look at this story today, uh, one in young, uh, three young people in Canada report experiencing dating violence. One in three. Can that be true? It is true. Yeah, that data comes from our first national sample of youth who reported on dating violence. And we know up to one in three report some form of dating violence or aggression in their relationships, be that um, sexual, cyber-based, physical, and or psychological. Okay, so let's define that a little more. Um, when we're talking sure. about young Canadians, what are we talking about? Is this um, high school kids or younger or older? What's, what's the age range we're talking about? 
Sure. So in this study, we had youth who were in grades 9 and 10. Um, but from other work, both in Canada and the United States, we know that dating violence starts as young as grade 6. Um, but in this study, we were focused on youth in grades 9 and 10. Um, but certainly for parents, since that's great, that's what you're focused on, really starting around age 11, age 12 um, yeah. is a time when youth begin to be at risk for dating violence. Okay, uh, perfect. Now, when we talk about dating violence, like you said, there's, I mean, not to diminish any form of this, um, but there are different kinds of dating violence these kids are reporting experiencing, right? That's right, yeah. And what, what are those? What sort of categories did you put before them? Sure. Um, So in the study where the one in three number comes from, we asked about three types. Um, So one type is psychological aggression. So that would be things like trying to control you or emotionally hurt you. So about one in three report that. Cyber dating violence, so a partner using social media to hurt, embarrass, or monitor you, so about uh, 20% reporting that. Um, And then finally, physical, which is probably what people think about most often, um, but there are other kinds, as I just mentioned. Um, But physical or being physically hurt on purpose um, is about 1 in 10, about 10% are reporting that. Um, And we didn't ask about uh, sexual violence, but we know a substantial minority of youth do experience sexual violence in their dating relationships, particularly girls, um, as well as stalking. And, of course, the ultimate worst outcome of homicide, which does unfortunately happen too often. Um, Now, I'm a parent of teenage kids now, um, but I also remember being a teenage kid. And when you're Mm -hmm. that age, um, is there an inherent obstacle here in the fact that, you know, your dating life or your relationships maybe aren't top of mind or at least a topic of discussion that you want to get into with your parents? You know what I mean? There's sort of is is that a common report that you hear from kids in terms of, well, we don't we don't really talk about our relationships all that much or was I very um out of step with everybody. No, no, I think you were right in line. So we do know from other work that the most common person a teen is going to go talk to is one of their peers. Yeah. Um, But they do still go talk to their parents. Um, So there's several ways parents can engage. If you talk to your teen and they're not experiencing dating violence, but you've talked about it, then if a friend reports to them, they'll be prepared to have that conversation. Also, by talking about it, if your child is involved in an unhealthy or abusive relationship, you are opening that line. And we know from research showing that you're willing to have that conversation does make it more likely that they would come and talk to you. Makes sense. And now if they do come and talk to you, uh, being a parent of teenage kids, I don't know if Mm -hmm. I would know exactly the best way to handle that, the best way to deal with that. Are there resources or things that parents can sort of arm themselves with so if this discussion comes up, they know what to do? Definitely. Um, So the first thing is to take a deep breath and listen. Um, I think it's really easy um, to rush to judgment, and that is not a bad thing. You want to get in there and fix it. That's been your job as a parent. Totally. Uh, But, you know, youth, one of the reasons they don't report to parents is that they're afraid, you know, they're going to be banned from seeing their partner, banned from their cell phone. So listening non-judgmentally and then making a plan. Um, That doesn't mean that you don't, of course, have judgments and values and feelings, but finding your own support to work through those and not working through that with um, your child is really important because they need to know that you're a safe space and that they can tell you what's going on and that you'll listen to them. Um, In terms of resources for youth, they can reach out to Kids Help Phone. For parents, if they Google dating violence PrevNet, um, on our site, we have a whole bunch of resources about how to talk to youth. Um, But at the end of the day, it's really just about being opening, listening with compassion, trying to reserve judgment and working with your youth to figure out, you know, what are the best next steps forward and thanking them for telling you about it. Um, 
Okay. Easier said than done, right? Because like you say, totally. as a parent, you want to yeah. try and fix it. You want to get in there and make everything better. So yeah. just be patient. Give yourself a little room yeah. to just process. What about, um, you know, our school system and, and our educational system? Do they broach this subject? Or is this something that kids are sort of, um, you know, taught about and sort of what to do and how to handle it? Should they become a, a victim of this? Yeah. Um, so it is something we definitely want to see in curriculum, unfortunately. Um, and I know you said you're going to avoid politics, but in the new curriculum draft, <laughs> dating violence is not mentioned. Um, and that's a really big myth because... We know for a lot of youth, that's where they get information about dating yeah. violence, including, you know, what does a healthy relationship look like and what is an unhealthy relationship? Like, what's not okay? These are the first relationships teens are experiencing. They might have seen a lot of different things in the media, in their home, with their friends, so they might not even know what they should expect. Um, so having that in the curriculum, where to seek help, is super important to make sure that that information is getting to as many youth as possible. Yeah, it's an important discussion, and I'm glad that we spent some time on it today, Doctor. I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, I was shocked to hear one in three, so Mm -hmm. I appreciate you coming on and uh, providing a little insight for us this morning. Thank you. Thanks, and thanks for bringing attention. It is a really important issue, um, and I do think not enough people know about it, so really appreciate you featuring it. Excellent. Thanks very much, Doc. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Dayanera Exner-Cortens, an assistant professor at the University of Calgary and uh, co-director of PrevNet. And as she said, if you're looking for resources and you're looking for information on this, um, it's a network of Canadian researchers working to promote healthy relationships and eliminate violence. Check it out. It's P-R-E-V-N-E-T. And I reckon if you put that into any sort of search engine, boom, it's going to show up. Desert me, don't turn back now that we're here. People always say life is full of choices. No one ever mentions. What's the name of the song again, sir? Or how the world can see. So oh, what's the name of the song? It's Journey to the Past, which is one of the the stellar signature pieces in Anastasia, right? Yeah, and exactly. Now Broadway is back. You've heard that, right? You know that Broadway is back, and there's been all kinds of stories about how um, plays are being staged on Broadway once again. Now, the good news for us in this part of the world is it also means that Broadway across Canada is back, and the first production to hit the road since the pandemic is. Anastasia, which we just heard a piece of music from, sung by our guest. It'll be in our province next month, January 4th through 9th in Calgary, January 11th through 16th in Edmonton. And joining us now is Kyla Stone, who plays Anya in Anastasia. Kyla, thank you so much for your time. appreciate you joining us today. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Tell us about playing this role. Is, is Is this a dream come true? Is this the role of a lifetime so far, at least? It really is that it's funny because I have so many out of body experiences in every show where I go, oh my goodness, I'm I'm playing a princess who discovers she's a princess, and I get to do it in front of thousands of people every night and get to hear little kids laughing in the audience. So it really is a dream come true. And you get to do it in front of thousands of people every night, which is also very cool because we haven't had this for a while. So how as exciting is it to be back on the road, part of the first production since the pandemic? I mean, that makes it extra special, doesn't it? 
It does. And and I think this musical is so wonderful because it is, it really is a show for everyone. You, you can be an Anya like me, or you can be a Dimitri, you can be a Gleb, you can be one of our little Anastasias or a Dowager Empress there. It's so wonderful in the way that they've crafted this show to be accessible for so many different people. Now, you you mentioned some of the characters, and and you're right. And just talking to people in the station, and and they've all seen the movie, and they all love it, and they're all looking forward to this production. Um, does that add pressure? I mean, a lot of these you know performances and these roles that you're taking on Anya, I mean, they're pretty iconic, and they mean a lot to people. Are you cognizant of you know trying to represent what people see in Anya, or do you need to bring yourself to it? I mean, it's it's not just a it mean it's a meaningful role, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it definitely is, and I I think it carries gravitas and weight. Um, And I think the wonderful thing about Anya is you do, I do, get to bring so much of myself to her and and find myself through her. And I I definitely feel it every single night when when Once Upon a December starts playing, because that's the first song in the show where everyone sort of goes, oh, I know this song, I know this (laughs) song. So, So to be able to get to sing that song, and especially Journey to the Past, which is one of my favorite favorite numbers and and one of the few moments in the show that I can actually see the audience it feels like we're we're definitely sharing that moment together um and as you say you bring something of yourself to the role is there something you're trying to get across to the audience in your portrayal is there a message you're trying to send or is there one that the entire production sends I mean is there a focus is it that focused for you I think so. I think one of the biggest messages that Anya gives to to her fellow people on stage is is that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to share your truth. Um, and and I think the journey she goes on is is realizing that you don't actually need anyone else besides yourself to know who you are. And that's probably one of the biggest themes. And and knowing that. Um, that you can find yourself uh, in through life and you don't have to always have the answers is is one of the things that hopefully people will walk away with when they come see us. Kyla, what's it like touring? I mean, COVID hasn't gone away. We all, unfortunately, are still dealing with some parts of it. So what's it like mounting a... I mean, these productions are first rate. They're huge. What's it like being part of a production in the midst of a pandemic like this? Oh gosh, um, lots of lots of traveling, lots of wearing masks, lots of <laughs> lots of washing your hands. <laughs> uh, luckily, everything's really clean, and, and I feel very safe, and our cast feels safe. Um, the one funny thing is obviously looking out at an audience and seeing people masked, yeah. and, and only being able to see their eyes. But but I think there's connection in that too. So I think the best part is obviously that we're actually getting to do it, and, and we're obviously getting to to reopen, and it sort of feels like this reawakening theater and this this revival that I think we all needed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people are just eager. They're, they're, they can't wait to get out for you in front of an audience and audience, you know, witnessing what you're doing and being part of that experience is something we've all missed for far too long. Mm-hmm, definitely. Kyla, thank you so much for your time today. Best of luck with the production. We look forward to seeing you on your Alberta Swing. Yes, thank you. I can't wait to be in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we'll roll out the red carpet. Thank you, Kyla. <laughs> Thanks. Have a good one. That is Kyla Stone, who plays Anya in Broadway Across Canada's presentation of Anastasia, which will be in our province, as I said, next month, early next month. January 4th through 9th in Calgary, January 11th through the 16th 
in Edmonton, and I was uh, just trying to figure out something about this play this morning, and I was on the website. Um, there's not a lot of tickets left, so if you want to get in on this, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't delay. These are very popular. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.